What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up, everybody? 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 You are listening to The Bounce, as always, folks. This is episode 72. My name is Jabari Anderson with my co-host, L'Oreal. How you doing, L'Oreal? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm trying to get heated up just like these semifinals matchups. Yes, I'm trying to get heated up, too. And speaking of heated up, you know, it's... It's warm outside. You know, it's about, uh, what, I want to say, 81 degrees outside right now. It's getting warmer. It's the month of May. Everybody, uh, you know, of course, you know, people who are done with college, you know, who graduate, congratulations to them. You guys are finally got you to your, what, your bachelor's degree, your master's degree. Shout out to y'all. Y'all made it. A year ago, L'Oreal, you actually graduate uh, from CMU. Yes, I did. I know one year changes a lot. <laughs> it does. And, you know, just real quick to all the grads out there. Go tackle your dreams. Go tackle what you want to tackle and make this world your entire oyster. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because two years ago, I graduated from CMU with my master's and six years ago, I graduated from Western with my bachelor's. And I can tell you this, man, two years ago when we were in this pandemic and still still is man things change a lot like for real mm, yes, <laughs> that stay that stay at home order was something but anyway that's the we ain't talk about this pandemic we're gonna talk about these games let's go ahead start with these nba playoffs so how about the bucks and the Celtics? i mean this series whoo man i mean back and forth crucial from top to bottom but here we go let's talk about game four this was a crucial game four in this series between the celtics and the bucks the celtics beat the milwaukee bucks 116 to 108 after even this this is the thing you gotta understand they were down by 11 points it looked like the Celtics were gonna lose this game i mean they looked like they were down and out they couldn't even shoot the ball well but in the fourth quarter they scored 43 points in the fourth quarter let me say it again 43 points in the fourth quarter thanks to al horford who had 16 in the fourth quarter and jason tano i mean jason tano has been struggling all series long but this man was able to give you at least 30 points and score 10 points in the fourth quarter with the bucks you know look the bucks they had a chance to you know be up in a series 3-1 but the celtics took it and now they regain home court advantage are you surprised that the celtics stole game four absolutely not because we have to understand that the Boston Celtics, they are still one of the best teams in the East. And offensively and defensively, when they can click as high as they can click, I mean, there's no telling what they can do. And when you really look at this series, Milwaukee, to some degree, does have Boston because, of course, Giannis and everyone else, they can play around the same level that Boston can. So when you look at Jason Tatum, you know, Jason Tatum, he has done well throughout this entire series. But note the times when he struggled. When he struggled – the Boston Celtics primarily struggled. Um, game two and game three. Game three, he shot 21% from the field. Game two, he shot 33%. When you look at what has happened now, especially in game four, he has improved. He had learned that I have to be the dominant one because just like we can say Giannis is the best player um, for the Milwaukee Bucks in this series, we can say that Jason Tatum is the best player for Boston Celtics in the series. And when he performs well, it changes everything. But the really big thing in this series is not really Jason Tatum and Giannis, because we know that when they struggle, they struggle. And when they do well, they do well. But look at these role players. Al Horford, he played amazing in game four. Amazing. And I'm going to say this right now, y'all. 
Stop sleeping on Al Horford. We know Al Horford is older. We know he's not the guy he used to be in his Atlanta days, even when he was a part of OKC. But he is still a dominant force. And I think that Boston, having him on this team, he has played very well. He has shot extremely well, over 50% from the field, and over 60% from three-point range. That is the killer right there when, if, when you think about how Milwaukee couldn't stop Horford. Because Horford, just at any given time, he can light up at any given moment. And that's the you know special thing about Horford is when he's ready to go, he is there for you. And he did just that for Boston. Now, for Milwaukee, they're not in trouble in this series, but there's a couple of things I think Milwaukee need to clean up. Because when you think about the fact that you lost that game like that at home, you don't want to go into Boston. Well, you have to go into Boston now knowing that I have to win that game because you don't want Boston to win that game, be up 3-2, and then come back to Milwaukee to beat Milwaukee. And here's a couple of things from Milwaukee that they need to clean up. Giannis, he's doing pretty good in this series. He's averaging about 30, shooting 53% from the field. But one thing that people haven't really talked about is that he is horrendous from the three-point line. He is 2 of 16. That's bad. We got to give credit to Boston's defense as well. But for Giannis, and we can understand, Chris Middleton, we're seeing a little bit of those effects of if he would have been in this series, things would have been primarily different. Giannis, he might have to feel like he might have to take all these shots because when you think about it, he is the most reliable player that they have to rely on. But for Milwaukee, let's not forget, you have lots of other guys who can play very well and just as better as some of the role players on Boston. Brooke Lopez, he has showed up some parts of the series, but has fallen flat. Bobby Portis, he showed up the first two games, but has fallen flat in games three and four. Um, Grayson Allen, you had some moments like in game four when you was able to try to beat the lead that Boston had, but it still wasn't enough. So for Milwaukee, they have to understand that everything is beyond Giannis at this point, especially when you go against a team like Boston. You have to beat Boston literally one-on-one, -on -one, every single player in every single position. And for them, Giannis could do it all, but at this point, we, he can only do so much. You need other role players to step up. And I think that if Milwaukee can't get any more contributions, we can see the same kind of problems that kind of ran a couple of years ago where Budenholzer is not really sure who to put in the lineup or where rotations to put. And when you look at some of the lineups that they had, you can see where Boston has a clear advantage defensively and offensively. So for Milwaukee, they just have to make sure that every single player has to be on 10 toes, especially in this series, because Boston, when they get hot, and especially when you have people like Al Horford scoring 30 points, that's a bit of a problem for Milwaukee, who needs to prove that they are still one of the best teams in the East. Listen, absolutely not am I surprised that Boston <laughs> won this game. Come on. Now, look, if you guys thought for once, you know, a lot of people, I feel like there's a lot of people who over-exaggerate how this series, series was going to go. In game one, when the Bucs won, they won convincingly, right? A lot of people were looking at that game like, oh, well, it's impossible for the Boston Celtics to win this series. I'm like, impossible? What are you talking about? It's only one game. And then when Boston won game two, I, I, I believe people were kind of like, you look, listen, they were quiet when they won game two. And then when the Bucs won game three, which if you look at game three, if Jason Tanner would have had a good game, I mean, just a decent game or even an average game, they would have won game three. A lot of people could, could say that you could make a case that the Bucs could have been up 3-1 in this series. 
you can definitely make a case that Boston could have been a 3 1 in the series. Because look at this right now. Throughout this entire series, they haven't shot the ball great. And game four, they did shoot the ball very good down the stretch, thanks to the fourth quarter. They shot 50% from the field. Yes, Al Horford, he stepped up in game four. Jason Tatum finally stepped up in a crucial moment in game four. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, even though Jalen Brown did get in foul trouble, and which, which, listen, don't get me started, but don't foul calls because there was too many. Listen, I'm getting tired of these NBA officials getting to the damn game, going to the uh, to the table every single time, the, the scoring table, and look, oh, is this a, a flagrant foul? Is this a flagrant foul? Oh, oh does, this deserve, does this deserve a technical foul? Like, bro, every single time. And, you know, I got to say this before I continue. If what Al Horford did to Giannis – where he accidentally elbowed, actually elbowed Giannis. If that's a technical foul, then what Giannis did to Jason Tatum when he was going for a dunk over him in game three, Giannis should have got a technical foul because Giannis elbowed Jason Tatum when he was going for a dunk. So I, I don't I don't understand, man. I just feel like that the, these officials has not been consistent. They have been inconsistent on both ends on the floor. Now, anyway, yeah. let me go back to the series real quick. The Boston Celtics throughout the series have not shot the ball well, but when they do, they win games. And at times, game two, Marcus Smart did not play, but the Celtics were able to win. Game four, Robert Williams was not able to play, but the Celtics were still able to win. And I, I, I got to bring up Al Horford once again, because for some reason, even though it's not your best players, Al Horford, who is important, no matter what happens, he shows up when necessary, and he has been huge. You know, I remember people were saying when the Celtics traded away uh, Kimball Walker and a 16th draft pick for Al Horford, a lot of people say, well, why would they do that? That's a bad That's a bad trade for the Celtics. I'm like, are you serious? Um. This is Al Horford <laughs> we talked about here. Are you serious? Hey, 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 where is Kimball Walker now? Exactly. I don't, I don't want to hear that. See, I'll tell, I'll tell you what, we were, we were better off. Listen, the Celtics, listen, I don't care what happens. The Celtics better do whatever they take, whatever they need to do with Al Horford. They didn't make sure that he plays next season because that man has been huge for the Boston Celtics this season. Facts. Now back to Boston real quick with this win right here. And with them regaining home court advantage. Now they can look at this this way in these next three games. Two out of three were at home. Now, Boston has to take care of business in game five in Boston, and I believe they win. I believe they will take care of business. And I said this after game one, when everybody was over-exaggerating, saying that the Bucs were going to take them out. What you saw in game one with the Bucs winning this will be the last time you will see the Bucs win a game in Boston. Keyword, in Boston. This is The series is over. It's, it's over. Boston is going to win this series. It Listen, could it go to seven? Absolutely. I'm not denying it. I believe it's probably going to go to seven. It may go to six, but it's probably going to go to seven. Celsius and seven. But I'm going to say this right now. The Bucs are not going to win a game in Boston again. Period. Point blank, period. It's not happening in this series. Okay, Giannis, he's the best player. He did his thing. Look, this man had 34 points, 18 rebounds, five assists, shot 14 for 32 from the field. He's shooting 43%. In this series, we get that, and that's credit to Boston's defense. But look at this: Holiday five for twenty-two from the field. What the heck was that oh, all about? What the yeah. heck? What the heck is on Lopez? I mean, he was straight. He was good, but it wasn't all of that. If you want to be honest with you, and then Bobby Portis, he only played fifteen minutes. What the heck? He come off the bench for? If you were to see this, 
The reason why the Bucks are in trouble right now in this series, forget about Chris Middleton, forget about the absence of Chris Middleton. They are repeatedly doing this. Giannis, go one-on-one. Drew Holiday, go one-on-one. Then, here's another thing too. The Celtics are now figuring out to go to the paint. They're now figuring out to go to the basket. Remember what I told you about this last week? I said Boston was 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 selling for jumpers. They were they were looking like, oh, I'm gonna be a jump shooting team. Now they are changing the way how it goes. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who are constantly going to the basket, even at times. Marcus Smart, Al Horford. These guys are finding ways to score in the paint. They have 48 points in the paint. Now, now granted, the Bucks they had 52 points, but the fact that that the Celtics had 48 points in the paint, that tells me everything I need to know. And if the Celtics can repeatedly attack the basket, that's going to be troublesome for the Milwaukee Bucks. And that is why, to me, it shows you a couple of things. It shows you why I believe, believe that the Bucks will lose this series. And only that is also going to show you how important is Chris Milton to this team. Because everybody could talk about, because listen, Chris Milton is, is, is their closer. Let's be, be very clear. Giannis is the man. He is the ace, but Chris Milliton closed. Now that he's not there, Drew Holiday is out of place. Giannis, mm. he's, he, he's the number one, but he cannot be a closer. And that is why I believe that Boston is going to take out Milwaukee, rather it's in six or in seven. Watch. Yeah, you got to step up. Yeah, you got to step up. And, you know, <laughs> let me tell you right now, they, they lose this series. We're going to have a conversation about Giannis. You know, they lose in the second round. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Just like we bring that same energy to KD, LeBron, Steph, you know what I'm saying? All this, you know what I'm saying? You know, all the top tier players in the world, you know what I'm saying? We bring that same energy. Best believe it. Let's move on to another playoff series in the Eastern Conference, and that's the 76ers versus the Miami Heat. You know, the 76ers, before game three, they looked at doom. They looked at down and out. I mean, I don't know if anybody thought they had a snowball's chance because we didn't know when B was going to come back. But now, but now with the return of Joel Embiid, his impact is definitely shown. And knowing that they are tied this series 2-2, James Harden in game four scored 31 points. 31 points. Let me just say this right now about James Harden. When this man scored 31 points, everybody was giving him flowers, giving this man a parade. They're like, oh, my God, like this <laughs> This this is the this is the greatest James Harden game I ever seen since since the Houston days. I'm like I'm like let's let's stop right there. Let's not go far. He only scored 31 points, but this was I would say Game Four was James Harden's best game as a 76er. Really, yeah, it really has been. It's been a minute since this man even scored 31 points. But anyway, with this series tied two to two, that means that Game Five will be in Miami. And look, the Miami Heat they've been undefeated. In Miami, they have not lost a game at home. And so the 76ers got to do something that no one has done in these playoffs so far. Win a game on the road, and that is Miami. So Miami, well, I should say Miami. L'Oreal, with this series tied, who do you feel more confident in this series, the 76ers or the Miami Heat? I'm going to go with Philly, and here's why. I, I said it last week, and I meant it, and it's proven. When you have Joel Embiid on this team and back, you know, with that face mask and all, he makes a difference for this team. He makes a difference for the team because, of course, he has a lot of value to his scoring-wise. But really notice the difference between Miami when Joel Embiid wasn't on the floor and when Joel Embiid was on the floor. When he wasn't on the floor, obviously you saw, like, Bam and Tyler Hero go crazy. 
but that gave Miami more opportunities to actually score more because they didn't have to worry about Joel being the force in the paint. And of course, they didn't have to worry about, you know, the likes of DeAndre Jordan and such and all that. So I felt like when, you know, Joel Embiid wasn't on the team, uh, wasn't playing for games one and two, Miami was able to cruise through Philly, even if Philly still had efforts from Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, and James Harden to some degree. When Joel Embiid came back in game three, it was like a switch. Automatically, you see Philly play more better. You saw the flow of the offense actually make sense. And you see Joel just being unstoppable in the paint. I mean, you know, they do have defenders like Bam and Desmond. But let's be real. Nobody can really go toe-to-toe with Joel Embiid. And even if he has a face not, mask not, not on. Not in Miami. <laughs> not in Miami. But even if he has a face mask on and his thumb, you know, it's not right. Joel is still making an impact. And I think that's making a difference in Philly. And with James Harden. James Harden, we don't know if he can ever go back to, you know, being in Houston days. But I will say personally for me and everyone else, it just felt good to see James Harden actually have that moment. And you felt that moment in game four. Even if he scored 31 points and from the field, it wasn't the best. But from three, he did good from three. He shot 10 to 16. You could just feel the presence of James Harden having more energy, being more aggressive, stepping up. And I think for a lot of people, we could say that that's the first time in a while that we've seen that from James Harden. And I think that's even more good things for Philly, because when you have James Harden just being more energized and more aggressive, it could mean a lot for this Philly team. And we saw that in game four. Also, when you look at all the other players besides Joel and James Harden, Philly got some really good people. Tyrese Maxey, he is still making a great, promising effort. He is still averaging about 20. His splits are 49-40-50-90. That's very good for the 76ers. Tobias Harris, remember this, about a couple years ago, Tobias Harris was arguably the second or third option when the team had Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons as that main core. But now that Ben Simmons is out the picture, you have James Harden in, Tobias Harris is going to be that third or fourth option. And I think for Tobias to be the third or fourth option is better for him because when you already have Embiid and Harden doing most of the work, and then you have a young guy in Maxie helping out as well, Tobias can contribute as well, and it can actually be more greater than what it was before. He's doing the same thing just like Maxie, averaging 20 points, playing very well defensively. And I just think with Philly, I just like them a little bit better with Miami. Now let's go to Miami. Remember, I said, and you know, I would, and I said to Jimmy Butler, I'm watching you. I'm watching you because what we saw last year, I still didn't like it. Jimmy Butler, he has improved. He has done very well in the last series and in this series. I have no issues when it comes to him. But like I alluded to before about whether or not we think Miami is legit, I said Miami isn't legit because I don't think that I can take them seriously. And they're proving that to me, especially in games three and four. How is it that Jimmy Butler can score 30-plus points or 40-plus points like he did in game four, but you have Tyler Hero shooting 4-12. Kyle Lowry, and we get it, he did come back from injury, but still didn't really do up to par what we expected him to do. No impact. Bam, he has had some good moments. He has been pretty solid in the series. Um, But other players as well. Against who? Not against Embiid. No, not against Embiid. (laughs) Overall, 
Bam has done good in the series. We rather we really haven't really seen him struggle. Okay, that's but when, true. But when I'm talking about well, Tyler well, Hero, when, when it bees on the floor, he does struggle. That is true. But what I'm talking about is that when we look at these other, you know, the other players on the team, why is Tyler Hero not performing? Why is Kyle Lowry not performing? All these other guys, and I think for Miami, it's going to be more than just Jimmy Butler. We have seen Jimmy Butler tire himself out, keep pushing on the gas, and he's going to keep pushing on the gas. But for Miami, the reason why I can't trust them is that I need your other guys to get involved as well. And I think for Miami, especially at home, you need Tyler Hero to shoot better. You need Kyle Lowry to actually step up a little bit more. Now he's back in the lineup. Um, P.J. Tucker, he hasn't really done too well in the series. We need to see more from him, considering that you picked him up from Milwaukee. So in Miami, I still don't trust him because, because outside of Jimmy Butler, who else is going to contribute? That is the biggest question. And now that Joel Embiid is back and literally in the way, as you referred to, in the paint, Miami had to find a way to stop or limit the feed, but just get the other guys involved. Because if you go into Miami and you let Philadelphia beat you, I really believe that it will be more so the fact that nobody else contributed besides Jimmy Butler. And Miami don't want to go or lose this series because of that. Oh, uh, without question. If you want to talk about who has more confidence, it's definitely the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, if you look at game one and game two, you would have thought that the Miami Heat were going to beat them in five games. And let's let's keep it real. Let's keep it 100 here. If Embiid did not play game three, they might have been up. Like, listen, listen, could they have won game four? Could the 76ers have won game four without Embiid? Yeah, probably, probably not. I, I, I don't know. I will say this. If Embiid didn't play game three, I don't think he would have played game four because why would you put him back into a situation where he's not 100% and you guys have to win four straight games? I didn't see that happening. So they knew that their season was on the line. They knew for what well, it technically wasn't on the line, but they didn't want to be in the brick of elim- elimination. So they knew for a fact that they didn't want to go down 3-0. So you brought Embiid back and with just with Embiid there, it's just, here's the thing with DeAndre Jordan, they feel like they could just go to the basket anytime. But when Embiid there, even though he's not 100%, they kind of hesitate when they look at Embiid. They don't shoot. Listen, they, they settle for jumpers. They don't go to the basket as much. That is the impact that Joel Embiid sets on this team, sets for the court. And not, not only for Embiid, but Danny Green, he's shooting the ball well. He even shut the ball well in game three. Tyrese Massey is doing his thing. Tobias Harris, he had, I mean, he's not doing the same things he did in game one, game two, but he is still doing what he has to do to be, to be effective on this game, to be effective in this series. Now, with this Philly team, they still need to get some production off their bench. That's probably the one thing right there. If they could get some production off their bench, I think they should be just fine right there. Now, Miami, whew, see, here's the thing about, about, about Miami against Philadelphia. When they didn't have to worry about Joel Embiid, they were confident. They feel like they could win this series. However, since Embiid has come back, now better yet, I'll even say this, I'll say this. When the 76ers with Joel Embiid plays against the Miami Heat in the playoffs, they are 0-5. The Heat has yet to win a game, and this is all time. He wore the mask. He played in game three, four, and five. Not one and two, game three, four, and five. And guess what? The 76ers with Embiid won all those games. And then you look at it right now. Game three and four, they won when Embiid. So what that tells me is that the Heat has not found a way how to contain Joel Embiid, regardless if he's 100% or not. And the fact that Joel Embiid is so dominant, Dominant when he goes against the Heat, 
that showed you that they are in trouble. A lot of people bring about the heat and say, you know, Butler, you know, he's doing this thing, which he is. He's averaging 20, he's scoring 27 points per game. He's doing his part. Ain't nothing you can say about him. Like you said, Bam here and there, he's doing his thing, but he ain't doing his thing when Embiid's on the floor. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe when it's Paul Reed or David Reed, whatever the heck his name is, or DeAndre Jordan, but not against Embiid, Tyler Harrell. He hasn't been the same. He's been up and down. Victor Oladipo, where the heck happened to him? And like I said, Kyle Lowry, listen, we can talk about Kyle Lowry a little bit later. But this is what's very alarming about the Miami Heat. And this is why they're in trouble. Miami Heat was number one in three-point shooting, right? They were number mm-hmm. one. They were the first. Guess what? They're shooting 28% from the, from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. 28% from the three-point line. This is supposed to be the best three-point shooting team in this season, in the game right now. But the Miami Heat has not delivered at the three-point line. And if the 76ers are shooting the ball well from the three-point line, then the Heat are? Then yes, the Heat are in trouble. And the only confidence that you could give for Miami is that they haven't lost a game in Miami yet. And if the 76ers with MB win game five, mm-hmm. the Heat are done. They're done. Mm-hmm. They're done. And and listen, and it is, and if they lose this series, if they blow a 2-0 lead, whew, Boy, want that conversation again? Oh, uh, that's another. Listen, we listen. <laughs> we, we understand Butler does his thing, but this ain't the first time Butler has blown a three. Uh, not through. This has not been the first time Jimmy Butler has blown a 2 0 lead, and this would be worse because your team is the number one seed. Eric Spolstra, my Pat Riley. This is supposed to be a championship contender. This is the number yep. one seed. This is a team that's supposed to prove that two years ago when they got to the NBA finals in the bubble, it wasn't a fluke. Well, guess what? If you lose in the first round. I mean, not the first round. They they won the first round with the with the Hawks. If you lose in the second round after being up 2-0 against the 76ers, what do you think people are gonna say about the Miami Heat? So yeah, so and this is and this is crazy because I actually predicted before the series that the 76ers were going to lose to the Miami Heat. I, I had the Miami Heat in six because I was thinking, do I trust Miami or Philadelphia in crunch time? Or yeah, yeah, that was the question right there because I was just thinking like, you know, the health of Embiid and Harden, their offensive walls and crunch times, very alarming. So it was pretty much a toss up to me. But before this, before the series, I said Miami during the series. Oh, man, I think Philadelphia might take it. It, it, it won't be a surprise. It won't be a surprise to me if the 76ers win game five and game six. Like I said, if that happens. Man, we gotta look at Miami completely different, and well, yeah. somebody's gonna have to look at them different because you know how, how you know how I felt about them two months <laughs> ago. But that's just me. All right, so let's move on to the Western Conference because you know they got two playoff series there. So first off, I want to start off with this series right here because this was you know pretty much recent. But the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Now, of course, Game Three, the Grizzlies got their butts smacked or spanked, whatever you want to call it. They got beaten by what, what was the what was the score? Oh, they got beaten by 30 points on a row. And the fortunate part was obviously Dylan Burst couldn't play because of, you know, because he quote unquote broke the code, you know, whatever that crap is. <laughs> anyway, but also John Morant also suffered a knee injury, which which that means he had to miss game four. And because of that, you know, the Grizzlies played very well in game four. However, they lost game four. So that means that the Warriors have a commanding. 3-1 lead. And look, we don't know if John Morant's going to play for the rest of the series. It's still questionable. But all we know is that he, he was not able to play game four. 
even though Dylan Brooks was able to play game four, I mean, Dylan Brooks, what the heck happened to him? I mean, Lord have mercy. With the Warriors having a 3-1 lead in this series, is this series over? Yes, this series is absolutely over. Much credit to Memphis. We understand how great they are, how deep the team is, how amazing Jai is. The truth of the matter is, is Golden State is just a better team than Memphis. They're just a better team than them. They play better. They actually are playing better defensively besides Memphis, which, you know, you know, you wonder why is that? Because Memphis, before even the playoffs began, they were the best rebounding team. They had the most points in the paint. They was already one of the best defensive teams that we have seen in the league. So for them to face the Golden State Warriors and to have it be turned another way, it just proves to you how much experience and better Golden State is. And not only that, like we have to really emphasize how Golden State plays with a system and how gifted that system is. Because when you look at this series, it is a little bit different than the first round. Memphis came strong. Memphis more tougher. You know, that results into why this series is so physical, but also show you that Golden State can play the same way and play even better. And then when you really think about the overall point of this series, Golden State, their players are showing up a lot more than Memphis. And with Memphis, even though we know how deep their team is, all we have really seen throughout the series is Ja, what Ja can do, how Ja can come hard, how Ja can perform. We haven't really seen from the other guys what else can they do to the same magnitude. But when you look at the Warriors, you see that every single game is different. And you know what's crazy? Even if they don't have Gary Payton Jr. on the second because of that injury for quite a while, they're still playing good and even better. And look at these role players. I mean, Alo Porter Jr., he has done a great job shooting in this series. 55% from the field, 60% from three. I mean, game four, he had a really crucial game because he had shot after shot after shot. Jonathan Kaminga, I think the fact that Gary Payne Jr. has been out for the past couple of games, Kaminga has had a much better role. and He has been able to get to the hole, drive into the lane, and Memphis hasn't really had no answers for him. Jordan Poole, we understand how great he's been doing. And, you know, there's been some games where, like, game four, he didn't do too much. But throughout the rest of the series, before the fact, he performed well. Klay Thompson, more and more, we're seeing more of him form into what we can, you know, be hoping for once we found out that he was coming back. Klay's doing much better offensively and defensively. So when you look at this series, Golden State is just able to play much better as a team than Memphis. And I think for Memphis, while we do give credit to them, and I think Memphis shouldn't be attacked or nothing like that, they lose the series. I think that for Memphis, there's a serious question they have to ask themselves. Besides John Morant, what else do you have? And what I mean by that is that, think about it. The Memphis Grizzlies this season are 20 and 5 without John Morant. I think that's kind of alarming considering the fact that John Morant is your star player. And at the end of the day, even if they were close to beating Golden State without John Morant, you need John Morant. That's your best player. He gives you the most momentum, the most explosiveness exactly when you need it. So you think about that. Then you think about Ja. I love Ja. You know I love Ja. But I think for Ja, especially coming into next season, depending on what happens, if they could win this series or if they lose this series, I think he needs to take a minute and think about where he stands with this team. And what I mean by that is that you are the number one player. You're going to have the ball most of the time. You're going to be the most reliable player. But besides that, what else is there 
with this team. Because Jaron Jackson Jr., he's been inconsistent, and we've been waiting for him to have some consistency because we speak about him the same way we speak about John. Um, Desmond Bain, where has he been this whole series? I mean, the first series, he did terrific from three, but in this series, he's nowhere to be found. Even if game four, he has some improvement, you should have shown that improvement from the very first beginning of the series. Um, Brandon Clark, Stephen Adams, Tyus Jones, the list goes on and on. For Memphis, the role players that we speak so highly about, they haven't shown up at all in the series. And it's because Golden State is better and is putting the clamps on them defensively. And also, too, we don't know the true identity really of this team, period. Because if your team is 20 and 5 without John Moran, you know what I'm saying? And then even though John Moran is your best player on the team, there's still some questions on whether or not he can really take you to the promised land. That's what Memphis has to think about. But as far as this series, Golden State is just flat out better than them. And despite all the star talent that they can have, especially with Moran, I just don't think that Memphis can really do enough in this series. The reason why this series is over is not because the Grizzlies are a bad team. They are a very good team. Here's the issue. What they did to Minnesota in the first round was not going to happen in the second round. Think about this. Remember when people say you can make a case that Minnesota could have won that series against Memphis? Like they could have beat them in five games if they weren't messing up and blowing these double-digit leads. The same thing could go for this series. Memphis could have been up 3-1 if they didn't keep on messing up. Besides the whole broke the code thing with Dylan Brooks being suspended and everything else, three out of four of these games, Memphis could have been up 3-1, even without John Morant in game four. But the reason why they lost is because of inexperience. They're young and inexperienced. And I told y'all, when everybody was all talking about, hey, they 20 and five without John Morant. Oh my God, they having a good season. They, they are the number two seed. I keep trying to tell y'all, what folks do in the regular season is cool, but this is a young team. What, what they did last year, this, last year they were the ninth seed that happened to be the A seed because they took out Golden State. And they lost in five games against the Utah Jazz in the first round. And then you saw the next year, they took the next step. But look, and I and I mean no disrespect to the Memphis Grizzlies. How many people really thought the Memphis Grizzlies would be the number two seed before this season began? Really? I didn't. Uh, no, no one thought that they were going to be better than the Lakers, the, the Golden State Warriors, uh, Utah Jazz to a certain degree, uh, the Denver Nuggets. Right. Well, 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 yeah. Well, well, better yet, I this is what I was saying beforehand. Even though John Morant is a good player, I said this before. If it's Memphis versus Dallas, I would take Dallas because I believe they have no answer for Luka. And even with Luka, for some reason, they don't find any ways, even though they're great defensively, they cannot find a way how to contain Dallas' offense. When you look at the top four teams in the West, as far as seeding goes, if, they, if, if you look at those teams, you say, what team would I want to face in the first round? Because I know they are easier, easier matchup. You'll say Memphis. That's why I believe that if the Clippers were going against the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round, even without Kawhi, I believe they would have beat Memphis. I truly believe that. And Memphis, they just happened to face Minnesota and Minnesota who has no, who having issues, having a closer. And only that they have problems blowing these 20 point leads or 10, 15 point leads every single freaking time. That's the reason why Minnesota is home right now. But when you look at Memphis, this is about Golden State. They had a bad game, had a bad game. They shot 40% from the field, 24% from the three-point line. Clay yeah. Thompson and Jordan Poole had two 
bad. Well, both of them had bad games and they were 0 for 10 from the three-point line. Mm. Steph Curry basically carried them in the fourth quarter. Yes, he did. Basically, basically did. Think about this. The Golden State Warriors in the first half scored 38 points in the first half. I'm going to say it again. In the first half, the Golden State Warriors scored 38 points. In the fourth quarter, they, they scored 39. And Steph Curry had 18 of them. That tells me, and this is crazy, and the, the Memphis Grizzlies had 29 points in the fourth quarter. So what that tells me is that Memphis, who was inexperienced, did not know how to close, even though they didn't have job. Not only did they miss job, but what, like you said, what the heck happened to Desmond Bain? I mean, what you I'm saying, not, I, I don't know what's going on, what, man. What, what, what happened from what he did? He, he, was, he was averaging more points than John Morant in the first round. Then all of a yes. sudden, this man goes from averaging eight points, eight, seven, seven, eight. I mean, what the heck happened to him? He in the single man, digits. And now and Dylan Brooks, Laura had mercy. D- Dylan Brooks needs to need stop acting like he, that he Clay Thompson right now. Chris Curry, Clay Thompson, Kyle Corver. I don't <laughs> Duncan Robinson, he didn't stop acting like that because Lord had mercy. Five for 19, he was killing, he was, he was hurting the Memphis Grizzlies. And then what did I told you about Jerry Jackson? Game one will be his best playoff game ever. And it pretty much was 30, 33 mm-hmm. and 10. Jerry Jackson Jr. This man had 21 points, five rebounds, five blocks. This man in this series has shot 36% from the field. If John Morant, listen, in this series, even though he didn't play game four. This man is averaging 38 points, six rebounds, and eight assists, shooting 50% from the field, 43% from the three-point line, and he's shooting about 87% from the free-throw line. Like, what the heck? Like, if if you mean to tell me that that John Moran has to do that just so they can beat the Warriors, then the Grizzlies deserve to lose this series. That just shows you that you need to have a start. Now, the Grizzlies, they are a deep team. And they're nice, but at the same time, your guys, your guys that you have have to step up. It's, it doesn't take away what the Grizzlies have done this season because this, well, let's be real, this will be a successful season for the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, for what for they sure. have to do. But it just shows you, and, and I know Curry will say this, is levels to this ish young boy. Yes, it's levels. <laughs> levels to this. People said last year when the Grizzlies took out the Warriors in the plan, they said, John Morant, I'm on my Grizzly. Well, Steph Curry says, shoot, when I'm on my Warrior, <laughs> you ain't going to stop me. And, you know, I, listen, I think this series will be over in six. I think the Grizzlies will win game five on Wednesday, and then it'll be over on Friday. So that's how I see it. But, you know, Memphis, great season, but um, this series is over. The Phoenix Suns and Dallas Mavericks series went from a best of seven to a best of three. After the Phoenix Suns were up 2-0 in the series, they lost two straight. The Dallas Mavericks have won the last two games at home. They have been playing very well, playing very consistent, shooting the ball well from the three-point line. Thanks to Luka, Dorian, Max, Reggie, and others. Jalen Brunson, shout out to him. He's going to get paid in the offseason. Now the series comes back to Phoenix for game five on Tuesday night. Well, this is a big game for Phoenix, but, uh, you know, with the series tied 2-2 and things going up and down for Phoenix, is it now time for the Suns to panic? I think Phoenix should panic, and here's why. When you look at games three and four, now let's bring up Chris Paul here. Chris Paul game four, I think he just had a bad game, and we've seen Chris Paul had bad games before, but specifically in this time, and we talked about this, Jabari, especially with Chris Paul. When Chris Paul does that terrible, and he doesn't perform well, 
I think it affects Phoenix. And I think it affects Phoenix to some degree on a couple of things. Number one, you see Phoenix not really be as locked in as a team. Like when you notice that a lot of times when Luca was cooking, Finney Smith was cooking, Brunson was cooking, Phoenix did not know where to be at defensively. And you will think to yourself, why? Because we know that Phoenix primarily is a good defensive team. We could say better than Dallas. But for some reason, when it came to Luca and everyone else making these shots, it was more so not really because of them performing very well, but it was more so because Phoenix was not where they need to be defensively. And I think that when, especially when Chris Paul was out that fourth quarter, I mean, Dallas just took off. They took off because you could tell Phoenix, they felt defeated. They didn't know where to go, where to turn. That's how important Chris Paul means to this team. And another thing is when Chris Paul doesn't perform well, and I noticed this in this series and a little bit of the last series against the Pelicans, there's more demand, I believe, from players to play much better because they know that when Chris Paul doesn't perform well, there's more as from you. Devin Booker, for example. Devin Booker, a lot of times when you see Devin Booker explode, like 32, 40 points here and there, we know Devin Booker can do that because he's Devin Booker. But especially when Chris Paul doesn't play well, you can kind of sense that Devin Booker is doing this with the pressure of, I need to put this rock in the hole because I know that my team needs it. And that can go well, and sometimes that can't go well. But for the Suns, you need Chris Paul to play good or at least solid every single game. So when you have a moment like that where he only scored five points and he gets fouled out like that in the fourth quarter, that's bad. And for Phoenix, the fact that you drop these two games at home to – well, on the road to Dallas, you couldn't even beat them on the road. Not saying that Phoenix will do terrible at home, but if but if I'm Phoenix, I would be very concerned coming back to Phoenix for game five. Because the way that Dallas is coming, especially with Luka, this can go really good for Dallas, and this could go really bad for Phoenix. Because Luka, especially in games three and four, he has learned the code. Because remember, he even though he scored... 40 and 30 points the first couple of games. He struggled a little bit. He was getting cooked by Chris Paul to some degree. There was just really no flow to Dallas that you, you know, you know they can have it, but they didn't show that flow. This time, Luca, he's scoring less points. He's scoring about 25, less than 30. But what he is doing better is he's being more aggressive. He's being more smarter. I mean, Phoenix, they didn't have no answers for Luca because Luca, at any given chance, he beat them down. You know what I'm saying? He was able to make those shots. He was able to quickly pass the ball to Finney Smith, which is why he shot so well from three. He was able to contribute a lot. And that's why I said I believe that Dallas could still win, even if it seemed like at first Phoenix got it. Because my thought is, yes, we know Luca. he's going to do what he's going to do. But there's still other guys on this team that can contribute. Finney Smith did amazing. Jalen Brunson. He has stepped up game four and game three. You see Spencer Dinwiddie making shots. Dallas is playing good as a team. And when Dallas is playing good as a team and you have Luka being more aggressive, I think Dallas can be dangerous. So for Phoenix, the fact that you saw that bad game from Chris Paul, you saw a lot of mistakes, which I'm sure Monty has went on them about it because if you're Phoenix, you should not be making these careless mistakes as far as knowing where you're supposed to be at defensively. You need to make sure you need to stop that guy as soon as possible. Like Phoenix was literally all over the place to where you could tell that either whether it be Jay Crowder, Chris Paul, DeAndre Hayden, or Devin Booker, 
they didn't know where to go. So when they didn't know where to go, Dallas used the opportunity to say, okay, let me just hit this three on you. Let me, you know, shake it up in the paint. Let me just drive the lane and attack. That's exactly what Dallas knew what to do. And if I'm Phoenix, I would be very concerned going into Phoenix because if they lose that game, it can be bad for Phoenix. The Phoenix Suns, my thing is that I don't think it's time to panic, but I think it's, you know, it's a cause for concern. Let's look at Dallas real quick. So if you look at the first two games for Dallas, they average about, you know, 111 points per game, right? In the last two games, then this is when they won at home, they averaged 107 games at home, right? Now, let's go look at Phoenix. For the first two games for Phoenix, they averaged 125 points per game. This is the first two games. But in the last two games in Dallas, they averaged 97 points per game. They were shooting very, very well from the field. You know what I'm saying? And they're still shooting well from the field in this in the series because it's shooting like over 50% from the field. But in the first two games, they were shooting spectacular. I mean, there were times that they couldn't even miss, especially in game two. They were shooting over 64% for the field. But then these last two games in Dallas, they're shooting about 44, 45, 46% from the field. That's where they are right now. With Dallas, they have been more consistent. They're not going to shoot over 50%. They're going to shoot about 44, 45, 46, and 47%. And they've been like that throughout this entire series. You know what I'm saying? Around that middle. That's what they've been doing so far. So when you look at uh, look at Phoenix, this, this is going to be huge. They got to step things up. They got to do what they have to do. They got to protect home court because they know for a fact if they lose game five, you know what people are going to be saying like they did last year, especially for Chris Paul. I said this before. I said this again. Who is the player who has the most at stake? Which player has that? The player who has the most at stake is Chris Paul because if he does not get the job done this year, this would probably be his last year. And Chris Paul, he's having a good series, 16 points, five assists, five rebounds. And look, I mean, look, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it, because, it, you know, he, when you turn 37, you you look old or something. But since he has turned 37, he does not look the same. I mean, I mean, two bad games. What the heck is happening? Devin Booker still playing well, average 26 points per game. You know, DeAndre Aiden doing his thing. But when you look at this Phoenix team, they have to deliver because Dallas, listen, they're not, they're, they're, they're learning something. Dallas is not being Luca centric. Luca's going to get his Jalen, Reggie, uh, you know, saying Max, Dwight Powell and others, Dorian, they're getting theirs. They're getting their points. They're getting their shots up and they are still doing what they have to do to win games. But with Phoenix, they have to be on point. The pressure. And I would agree with this. The pressure's on Phoenix. The pressure's not on Dallas. It's nope. all on Phoenix because Chris Paul, Last year, we saw what happened in the finals. This man was up 2-0 against the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis, Chris Milton, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, and others. I can name plenty more in, uh, in, uh, in Milwaukee. But we all saw what happened. The Milwaukee Bucks beat them after trailing 0-2 in the series. The Phoenix Suns were up 2-0, and they lost four straight games in the NBA Finals. And I thought that was Chris Paul's best chance to win the championship game. Look at it now. Chris Paul has another chance. And what Chris Paul better not do, what he did last year, is blow a 2-0 lead. Because if he blow a 2-0 lead, that would then be five series where he has blown a 2-0 or a 3-1 lead. And wow. Lord have mercy. Chris Paul, if Doc Rivers is the face of blowing 2-0, 3-1 leads as a coach, then Chris Paul is, is the face of blowing 2-0 leads and 3-1 leads as a player. And that is something that you do not want to be part of. But I do believe that he will bounce back for game five. 
and we will see what happens. But it's going to matter a lot because they do not want to go down in this series. No way, no how. Not against Dallas. All right, so let's move on and talk about football real quick. And, you know, we haven't talked about this player in a while. So, so you know, it's still the offseason. And, you know, draft is over. You know, free agency. Well, technically free agency is still going on. And, you know, there are still, you know, still no signs of teams that who are – listen – there are, I believe there are teams that are interested, but I don't think there's any teams as of right now who's interested in getting him right now. And right now, Bacon Mayfield, listen, he is still with the Cleveland Browns. He's on the last year of his rookie deal. He's going to be making $18.8 million last year. On the last year of his deal, think about this. He has let it be known that he wants out. He's requesting a trade. and But right now, nothing is moving right now. Nothing is moving. I'm sure, listen, we've heard that the Seahawks are not interested in trading for a quarterback right now. Panthers, they're not ruling ruling it out. And I'm sure there are other teams that are interested, but they're just not going to Baker Mayfield right now. So will Baker Mayfield play in the NFL again? I think Baker Mayfield will. And I just noticed, like, really looking through the situation. And look, I understand. Baker Mayfield is not an elite quarterback. We're not speaking him as high as a Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. Or even Deshaun Watson, if you think about it. (laughs) Exactly, that part. But when you do look at what he has done in his career, and that's another thing, too. He's only going to his fifth year. That's crazy to think about. He's only going to his fifth year, and he's been drafted in 2018. But as, as much as, you know, as he's not an elite quarterback, like I said, he still has a lot of intangibles that I think a lot of these teams could really use and could really make that push for him. And look, his 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 rookie season, he did great. He did great. He broke the rookie quarterback record. He was looking to be a promising franchise quarterback for Cleveland. The year after that, he struggled. He had, you know, more interceptions than he did touchdowns. He didn't really play to his form. Then that 2020 season, he, he took the Browns to the playoffs. They beat the Steelers in a great fashion, and you get your first playoff win in over 20 years. Baker Mayfield did that. I think that's more significant than a lot of people want to really think about because the fact that he was a part of the Cleveland Browns, he did good at first, had some moments, but he bounced back and helped your team get a playoff win in over 20 years. That's pretty impressive. And then, of course, we see the season that he had last year, even if he was – hurt with that um, soldier injury. He could have did a little bit better with performance. But the point is, is that Baker Mayfield, I do believe that for a lot of teams, he can still be that quarterback where he can change the whole trajectory of your team. And if anything, for these teams that we're going to talk about, he can get you to the playoffs. Because if he managed to get a, a playoff win for the Cleveland Browns, even if it is one win in his four or five-year career, he still managed to do that. And for a lot of these teams, they can definitely use that. And that's the point. We're not talking about teams like the Buffalo Bills, the Baltimore Ravens, or the Chargers, or even Philadelphia to some degree, where they know who their quarterback is. They have worked on and still working on making those pieces around that quarterback to make the team better. We're talking about a lot of teams where, to be quite honest with you, I think that if you put Baker Mayfield in these teams, he can do something for you. Let's look at some of the teams that I think that, you know, they should look at the Baker Mayfield. Um, How about the New York Giants? The New York Giants. You know, Daniel Jones, I don't really know how much farther you can go with him. I think if you had a Baker Mayfield, that could maybe change a lot for that offense, for that team. 
um, the Washington Commanders. They did, you know, sold on Carson Wentz, but we know that Carson Wentz can still be inconsistent, and we really haven't seen him be to that form that we used to see him back in 2015, 2016. Um, the Tennessee Titans, Ryan Tannehill. I mean, the way that you see A.J. Brown just walk out of the door, I think if I were Tennessee, I might look into that because I think if you had a Baker Mayfield that can change some things for Tennessee. Um, Seattle, I get it. Drew Locke, no disrespect to Drew Locke. I think that he could do something for Seattle. But for Seattle, I think that if you really want to take things up a notch, especially because of the fact that you're still playing in a tough NFC West, I think getting Baker Mayfield wouldn't be an issue. Um, we can go on and on. Uh, what about Pittsburgh? I mean, the fact that they drafted Kenny Pickett, but they pick up Mitchell Trubisky, that shows you already that they're not even sold on who they want as a quarterback. So I think if Pittsburgh wants to get back into playoff contention with the pieces that they have, the defense that they have, you can benefit from Baker Mayfield. So the point is, is that Baker Mayfield is not the most elite and he's not the most attractive quarterback. We get that. But this man still managed to give Cleveland a playoff win over 20 years. This man, even though he has struggled in some years, he still has pretty good numbers, whether it be his QR, um, completion rate, all of that. So if I were any of these teams, I would still go back to the drawing board and think, what can this team look like with Baker Mayfield? The Carolina Panthers. I think that, you know, they they would benefit from upgrading from Sam Darnold and getting the uh, Baker Mayfield. So Baker Mayfield, I think he still has it. I think he does have some things to prove, which is why Cleveland is doing what they're doing by picking Deshaun Watson, the patient pretty much not paying attention to him at all. And then I think that's why a lot of teams are still hesitant to pick on him because they know that if they do, it's going to be an investment. And for any team trying to find the right quarterback, you want to make the right investment. But I think Baker Mayfield is great for a lot of teams for if you want to make that playoff push or if you want to change the dynamic of your team, because I think he's good enough where he can still change the dynamic of the team. It just depends on what you have for him and what you can do for him to make your team to that point. Look, as far as him playing in the NFL again, listen, he's going to play in the NFL again. The problem is just his contract. And look, his contract, although it's not that huge deal, Cleveland knows they're not going to cut him. They're not cut him in his last year deal because they know for a fact that, like I said beforehand, they're waiting to see if Deshaun Washington is going to be suspended or not. So they want to make sure they keep him, you know, just in case the NFL want to say, we're going to get this out of the way and suspend, suspend him for next season. Cleveland does not want to eat up his money, eat up $18.8 million. Nobody wants to eat up $9 million, $18 million over a guy who they, who they don't believe is that guy. And Baker Mayfield, this guy was drafted number one in the NFL, what was it, in 2018? Yeah, 2018, and, it, and yeah. In the 2018 NFL draft, he was he was he was drafted number one, and they were supposed to, it was supposed to see that he was supposed to be that guy. And listen, if he was not going to be an MVP, at least be a Pro Bowler. He's not even a Pro Bowler, and yes, he's won one playoff game. I understand that he has beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers a couple of years ago, so he has one playoff victory. But at the same time, does anybody believe that he could be that guy? No, that's the problem. He's just not that guy. He's not that guy. He listen. There, there will be a position for him. He can still play in this league. I don't think anybody thinks he's a scrub. He's a what? A, like he's a, he's an average quarterback. But the problem with Baker Mayfield, the reason why, listen, there's a reason why the Cleveland Browns want want Deshaun Watson because they know that he's elite. That man can win. Listen, he won a playoff game, but they can believe they can go further with Watson instead of Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield did something that hasn't been done for decades for the Browns. 
for decades. And if they believe that Deshaun Watson can do it better than you do, then what do you think is going to happen? What do you think everyone else in the league is going to think? They're going to think you must not be that guy. And Baker Mayfield, that doesn't mean that Baker Mayfield is a scrub. But Baker Mayfield, he's not the franchise quarterback that everyone expects him to be. I mean, you had Odell Beckham Jr. You couldn't work well with him. So what makes you think that you could work well when you go to any other franchise? You say go to the Titans. I don't know. I mean, is he going to work well with Derrick Henry? I don't know. If he goes to any other team, Seahawks. I mean, that. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. Panthers, we'll see what happens. But what I know is that if Baker Mayfield wants to show that he could be a franchise quarterback, he has to show it. I don't know about next season. I mean, it depends, you know, what happens to Sean Watson. But at some point when he plays once again, he has to showcase that he can be a decent quarterback. Because right now, no one believes him. I would not be surprised wherever he goes, he might be a backup quarterback. So with Baker Mayfield, you just got to go with the, you just got to go with the ins and outs. You got to go with the pros and cons in the situation. And I think at this point, when he leaves Cleveland, he's going to have to settle. And if that means he has to be a backup quarterback somewhere else, then let that be. But Baker Mayfield, what you saw what he did in his last four years in Cleveland, he shows you that he can't be that guy. I mean, he wasn't even a pro bowler, not even a pro bowler. I mean, how many players who was drafted number one do you know that wasn't a pro bowler and y'all still thought he was that guy? No, and for him not be a pro bowler, he better be happy that he's still making – he better be happy that he's going to be making $18.8 million next season. Just, just think about it. On his last year, it's going to be his fifth season. Get your money, man, whether you come off the bench or not, bro. But let's be real. You're just not that guy. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with my review on Major League Baseball. We're going we're gonna to make this quick. So before I go, I just want to say this right now. Miguel Cabrera, my guy from the Detroit Tigers, and the Tigers won today, 6-0 against the A. So thank God they need some doves right now because they've been playing terrible as of right now. Anyway, um, Miguel Cabrera made history once again. Miguel Cabrera got a double a couple of days ago, which means Miguel Cabrera is one of three players to have at least 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, and 600 doubles. 600 doubles. The only players that have that besides Miguel Cabrera is Hank Aaron and Albert Pujols. I mean, that, that's just elite. That's just great to be in that conversation, to be in that class, to be in the conversation, to be in the same class with Hank Aaron and Albert Pujols. It's just amazing. And you know what? That's what I've been saying since day one, that this, this guy is amazing. I mean, he is a legend. He is, he is, genera- he is a generational talent. Okay, he is a once of a lifetime, cannot be denied. And he is a Hall of Famer without question. But you know what? You know, I said what I said about the Tigers, man. You know, I'm just hoping they do well later on, you know, later on the season and hopefully make it to the playoffs. But, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm hoping to see what happens. But shout out to my Tigers, though. But anyway, <clears throat> so for the standings, for first place in the American League East Division, you have the New York Yankees. Their record is 28. Surprisingly, I did not expect to see the Yankees even be in first place and playing so well, but they shown otherwise that they are balling and they are improving. Tonight, they will go against the Toronto Blue Jays, who is their rival. And that's going to be an interesting matchup because we all know for the American League Central Division in first place, you have the Minnesota Twins. And the Minnesota Twins are 18-11. Surprisingly, right now, I know it's early in the season, but for them to be 18-11, while, while you got the Chicago White Sox, who are the favorites to win that division, I think you got to give them credit. So, I mean, when you add up, you know, with your additions, uh, you know, Carlos Correa, and, you know, Gary Sanchez. I think you got to get credit where credit is due. But like I said beforehand, you know, we all know the Twins. They can play well. They can be a very good team, especially the additions they have this offseason. But can they win a playoff game? And we all know they have not won a playoff game since 2004. So 
Got to think about that. But right now, give a, give them a shout out. For the AL West Division, you have the Los Angeles Angels who are in first place. They are 20 and 11. This, I got to say this actually surprises me because, because usually the Angels, they haven't really had a winning record for a long time. It's been a minute since they had a winning record. And for them being first place, led by Shohei Otani, Taylor Warren, who was in the MVP conversation, and Mike Trout and others, Y'all look, you got to look at this Angels team. This Angels team has been playing very, very well. You got to give them a shout out. First 31 games, playing very, very good baseball. Obviously, the Astros can't deny them because they will be creeping up on them. Tonight and tomorrow night, they will be heading. Well, they won't be heading, but they'll be facing the Tampa Bay Rays. So that's going to be some good matchups to see. In the regular season, we have three-game series, you know, three, four-game series, as you know, you know, not one game. So we'll see what happens with the Angels because – We'll see if they can hold on to being first place. We'll see how long they can hold on because they have, they have not been in the playoffs since 2014. So that's something to think about. For the American League wild card for three teams, because obviously there's going to be there's going to be a 12 team postseason bracket. The American League wild card teams you have the Houston Astros, Tampa Bay Rays, and the Toronto Blue Jays. I would not be surprised if the Blue Jays end up winning the American League East Division by the end of the season. Let's go with the National League. For the National League East, you have the New York Mets, who are in first place, 20 and 10. Pretty good. Start off very, very well. And listen, the New York Mets, they needed to, to step things up because last season they were very disappointing. Right now they're in first place. And they better hold on because they know the other team's going to be coming. This is the first half of the season. Second half is a different round. But right now, give credit to New York Mets. They are playing very good baseball right now. For the National League Central Division, first place, you have the Milwaukee Brewers. They're in 19-11. and 11. And I think it's not a surprise right now. We knew the Brewers can play very, very well. But we all know what you're going to do in the postseason. But right now, you got to give them credit. They own the Central Division for the NL. For the National League West Division, you have the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are 19-8, led by Freddie Freeman, Mookie Best, Clint Kershaw, and others. You know, honestly, I don't think anybody's surprised that the Dodgers are actually in first place because I would say in the West Division, it is the only division where every team in the, in the division have at least a 500 record or more. Yeah, well, I should say uh, 500 record or more, but they have a winning record. Every team is at least have an above 500 record. So that West Division is something. It's very tough, and we're going to see how the battle goes with Arizona Diamondbacks, Colorado Rockies, San Diego Padres, San, San Francisco Giants, and the L.A. Dodgers. So we're going to see what happens. For the National League wildcard teams, San Diego Padres, San Francisco Giants, and the St. Louis Cardinals. We're going to see what happens. And for tonight, let me tell you the schedule right now for tonight. Be on the lookout because tonight we have the Colorado Rockies versus the San Francisco Giants. You have the Toronto Blue Jays versus the New York Yankees. That will be in New York in the Bronx. You have the Houston Astros versus the Minnesota Twins. You have the Tampa Bay Rays versus the Los Angeles Angels. And last but not least, that will be on national television on TBS on 7 p.m. At 7 p.m., you will have the Boston Russes versus the reigning champs, the Atlanta Braves. And that was my Major League Baseball review. And, you know, so far from the month of April to so far in May. And I'll talk a little bit more by the end of May or by June. All right, so let's go ahead and move on. We're going to head back to the NBA. And I really want to talk about this because I know, L'Oreal, you definitely have some things that you definitely want to get off your chest about this. So let's go ahead and talk about this. The Denver Nuggets center, Nikola Jokic, won MVP. And this is his second time, second consecutive season that he is the MVP. And, you know, Nikola Jokic, let's give him credit. He actually played very well this season. I mean, this man averaged 27 points, 13 rebounds, 
7.9 assists. You, you probably could say about eight assists per game. He had 1.5 steals per game, about one, one block per game. And this, this guy had, had a career high in shooting 58% from the field. So we got to give him credit for that. And look, I know a lot of people have an issue the way how things look. They were the sixth seed in the West. And he is the 13th player to win back-to-back MVPs. He is the 15th player to win multiple MVPs. He's in the same conversation with LeBron, um, uh, Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, Kareem, Magic, Larry Bird. Um, who else could I, could I mention? Steve Nash, you know what I'm saying? Giannis, you know what I'm saying? Carl Malone. So, and the list goes on and on. Lorio, I know you want to get this off your chest because you have a lot of things to say about this. So I'm going to let you get the first nine on this one. Do you have an issue with Nikola Jokic winning MVP? I do. And here's specifically why. Jokic, amazing player. I think that what we have seen, especially last year's MVP campaign, I wasn't expecting that. Nobody else was expecting that. Great player. He means a lot to this Nuggets team. When you look at the fact that he had career highs all boards, he was first in everything. That is impressive. But I'm sorry, and I'm just going to say this. I think that specifically when I look at Jokic winning back-to-back, and I'm sorry, like, no disrespect to Jokic. I just think this is more so of him having the advanced stats than really when you truly think about what it means to be an MVP. And this is what I'm talking about. When you think about this whole race in general, this is the closest MVP race that we have seen in quite a while. When you look at the three finalists, Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, when you really think about it, they kind of all cluster together. So I'm pretty sure that it was very, very difficult for a lot of these media writers and media in general to actually vote for MVP because all three of these guys are so close. So we already talked about Jokic. He averaged about 27, 13.8 rebounds, 1.5 steals. He had career highs in every single metric, every single metric box scores. He had the highest PER rating. When you look at Joel and Giannis, and I did pick Joel and B, and I'll go into later on still why I think he should have deserved it, their numbers are eerily similar. And B, he averaged a career high 30 points. He averaged career highs and I believe, rebounds, three-point percentage, field goal percentage, improved much better this year as opposed to last year. His PER rating was third. Giannis, 29 points, 29.9 points, 11.6 rebounds. He was second in PER rate. So just think about the fact in general, too, that all these finalists are centers or big men to some degree, and all these finalists are literally one, two, and three in PER rate. So again, it was going to be a really, really close race. But here's why I just don't think that Jokic should deserve it over and Um, The sixth seed, it is something that we should look at. And also think about this, too. The fact that Jokic win his back-to-back MVP, and he won this year for getting the sixth seed. But when you look at a lot of other cases in the past of like a James Harden, a Kobe Bryant, et cetera, et cetera, where they did the same numbers and did astronomical numbers in those years, but because of the fact that they were a sixth seed, they didn't qualify to be the MVP. So to me, I don't get that because how is it that Jokic can win MVP having these beautiful numbers and he was a sixth seed in his conference, but these other guys didn't? I don't get that. I, I strongly believe that even though it is a generally regular season type of award, I still believe that if you're going to be the MVP, you're going to be the MVP. And I just feel like if you're going to be the MVP, like same thing will happen last year. 
you shouldn't get beat down like Golden State like that. If you're supposed to be the most valuable player, and like I said, it's just a regular season type award. But if you're supposed to be the most valuable player, I expect you to carry that on throughout just the regular season. So I look at that and kind of, you know, scratch my head a little bit. And also, when you think about specifically what it means to be MVP, I just think Embiid is more valuable because he has drastically improved his numbers as opposed to last year. When you look at Jokic's numbers, it didn't really change that much. I mean, you know, he went up in points, he went up in rebounds, he went up in almost every single thing that he did. But when you look at the numbers side by side from last year's MVP to this year's MVP, it's not really the same. And I just thought from last year's MVP, we what we saw from Jokic last year, it was like a wall. Like, I, I never expected Jokic to play that good. And what he did last season, I get it. I think that he deserved MVP last season. But this year, I'm sorry, man. It just I get the advanced stats, but it's just more to be an MVP. Joel managed to still do drastically better you know, before James Harden, even with James Harden, because people's like, well, you know, James Harden come in, won't that hurt his stock? I mean, if it would have hurt his stock, you would think Harden would take more of the load than Embiid, but Embiid still did. Look at what he's doing now. I just proved to y'all that when he came back for this series, it was going to make a huge difference for this team. I look at that as being MVP. When you look at Giannis, I think the fact that Milwaukee at first, they was at fifth or sixth. You know, injuries happened. They were struggling a little bit. Then once they started to get better, who was the catalyst for that? Giannis. Giannis went on, on a complete tear. And I will say that when you look at what makes these guys finalists, I just have to say, I think that Joel Embiid and Giannis just make a better case for Jokic. And I love the numbers. The numbers are beautiful. But let's also be real, too. Jokic would not be doing this if Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. were still on this team. That's a fact. Because when you have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., can Jokic produce the same numbers? Sure he can. But I don't think that he can do what he can do by just crushing every single stat possible if those two players were on that team. Which, again, brings the question, how can this be the most valuable player? So no disrespect to Jokic. I think that he worked hard for it. He's going to do just well. I'm even more excited to see, now that he's playing this level, what is going to happen when you have the full team coming back from Denver. Because that best believe Denver next year will be a contender team when you get all those guys back. But with this back-to-back MVP, I'm sorry, man. I'm just going to have to disagree. So a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking long and hard about this, right? Because I already felt like, because remember, we talked about this a few months ago. I said, if Jokic wins back-to-back MVPs, if he wins the MVP this season, then he would be the worst back-to-back MVP in NBA history. And then to a point, I kind of still do feel that way. However, let me say this. When people look at the fact that he won MVP, I'm more upset that he's a, listen, this season, I don't look at the same how I felt about last year. I think the reason why I have a problem that he's a back-to-back MVP is because he won last year. Because I don't believe he should have won last year. I know people are going to say, well, he played every game. He played all 72 games. I don't care about that. That's irrelevant to me. The fact that this man won MVP, which I don't think he deserved. I believe it should have been Chris Paul, if you want to be honest. I just think that there were other players who got robbed and deserved and earned it more than Nikola Jokic. Especially we saw what happened in the playoffs. This man got swept in the second round. Like, geez, Louise. But you look at this year, there are times that you have to look and you say, 
you know what? You have to be open with the possibility of being wrong. And when I looked at it, when someone explained to me why Nikola Jokic was the MVP, let me tell you why. A lot of people going to bring out Kobe and James Harden about their situations about, well, they were, you know, lower seed and they didn't win MVP and they have similar numbers. Let me tell you about Jokic. Jokic the entire season didn't have Jamal Murray. And that was his second best player. That was the nigga's second best player. Michael Porter Jr. only played nine games because he has back problems. And hell, we only know how he's going to look like in the future. But Michael Porter Jr. only played nine games. And Nikola Jokic carried this team. He carried this team to make sure they were a playoff team. Everybody was praising Steph Curry last year, and they were a play-in team. They didn't even get to the playoffs. They were a play-in team. But Nikola Jokic, doing what he did, averaged 27 and 13 and seven assists per game. And this guy was able to make sure, yes, he had career highs, but he had to make sure they were at least a playoff team. Everybody can, can basically say, well, this Nuggets team was a bad team. Well, the fact that it was a bad team and he got this team to the playoffs, should he get more credit if this is a bad team? When he didn't play, they were two and six. But when he did play, they were a great team. They, I want to say a great team because obviously you saw where they're at. They were a good team. Jamal Murray and Michael Paul Jr., if you think about this season, they were 48 and 34. 48 and 34. Last season, they were 47 and 25. Two seasons ago, they were 46 and 27. You know what I'm saying? Now, now of course, this season they played more games than they did the last two seasons because obviously the pandemic and everything and the bubble. But it is what it is. But when Nikola is doing, how many players got their teams to the playoffs and they lost their second and third best player? So when you think of that, when you understand that routine, and he did that, and they were a playoff team. They weren't a playing team. They were a playoff team. I came and I thought about this, and I said, you know what? I'm not mad that Nikola won MVP this year. Last year, oh, you ain't good, never going to – listen, last year, I, I have a problem with him winning MVP last year. But this year, I have no problem because people got to think of the idea. Most valuable player. This guy did everything that he can to carry this team to the playoffs without his second and third best player. And people say, well, look what he did against the Warriors. So you think that any other – okay, let's bring this back. If LeBron James replaced Nikola Jokic to LeBron James, they be in the Warriors in the first round with this team without their second and third best player? No. Kawhi Leonard, as much as I love him, no. Who, who else? Joel Embiid, No. Let's say you let's say that Steph Curry was on this uh, on that Nuggets team. Nope. Luca. Nope. Giannis. What? Giannis will give you two games. But the way how that team was, losing your second and third best player, that's gonna be tough on anybody. I can't blame anybody who voted for the I'm not worried about the, the advanced stats. Forget about I'm not worried about that. I'm not I'm, I'm looking at the fact that he averaged, he gave you MVP numbers, and he was still able to carry this team to the playoffs without his second and third best player, even though they were a six seed. I'm not mad at Joker in this one. This year, you know what? I'll give him props because he did that. That's why last week we said, was the, was the Nuggets team a failure, success, success, or was it neutral? And I said it was success because if you lose your second and third best player and you still got this team to the playoffs and you did all this, I got to give you props. I got to say it was success based on these expectations. So that's why to me, I didn't have an issue. Now, I would say this. Because he is a back-to-back MVP, let's be very, very clear. 
when That's Murray right. and Michael Porter Jr. come back, oh, there's going to be pressure on Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. Because these guys, they joke, you better get to the NBA Finals. Oh, you better. You better eventually. And listen, in your career, listen, in your fourth or fifth year in the lead, I think, I, was six, I forgot how many years he's been. I think, he, you know, he's been in the lead since 2004. No, not 2004, 2014. They better get to the NBA Finals at some point. The only players, the only players who has won an MVP but never been to the Finals has been Derrick Rose, Steve Nash, and Nikola Jokic. Mm. And Derrick Rose, we, listen, we give him a pass because he's been hurt. He's not in the conversation. Steve Nash is a top 75 player of all time. People had a problem that he was a back-to-back MVP. But at least with Steve Nash, there was a time that he had the best record in the NBA. And they yeah. won 60-plus games. There was one time they actually did that. And they were in the conference finals multiple times. Nikola yeah. Jokic has, has only been to the conference finals one time. One time. One time, and that was in a bubble. And many people believe if it wasn't for the bubble, they probably wouldn't, they probably wouldn't even be in the situation in the first place. So I will say this. Because he won back-to-back MVPs, it's now time for Joker to step up and show you that he is one of the five best players in the league. Because if because we don't look back at this, we're going to say this right now. If he does not get to the NBA Finals, we're going to look at these MVPs and say, this man won back-to-back MVPs? And that's he, my point. And he in the same conversation with Steph, LeBron, Michael, Giannis, Duncan, Magic, yeah. Kareem, and Wilt? Huh? They're going to look at like the, look, they already going crazy for Steve Nash because he won back-to-back MVPs. Think about what they're going to say about Nikola Jokic. The clock is ticking for him. Nikola, you expected to get to the NBA Finals in three to four years. The clock yeah. is ticking, for real. All right, so for our last topic, let's go ahead and talk about Ben Simmons. So last week, it was reported that Ben Simmons had back surgery, and this was on, I want to say, last Wednesday or Thursday, I believe. I think that's when it happened. But anyway, that was last week. Anyway, so with this back surgery that he has that, that was reported to be true, he is required to at least have three to four months to heal from his back and he will be ready for training camp and next season. So this is the news that popped up. And obviously a lot of people are expecting, you know, all the Ben Simmons haters to apologize for questioning, you know, his back and whatnot. But anyway, L'Oreal, does this news change your perspective about Ben Simmons? No, it doesn't, because people have to understand that the issue is not that we thought he was faking about being hurt, because that is very serious. The issue is that this whole timeline of what's been happening when he was back in Philly, him getting out of Philly, him being in Brooklyn, him still trying to get money from grievance, having health, mental health issues, all of that. That is the main issue. And I just look at this as that, you know, it's a sense of relief. It's a sense of relief for Ben Simmons. And lots of other people like me who just want him to play that he got the surgery and went successfully. So now you have this timetable of three to four months, three to four months. You should be able to recover. You should be able to work on your mental health issues and just overall get yourself together, get your mind together. So that come training camp, come this next season, you'll be ready to go. And that's all we're asking for Ben Simmons. That's all we want from him. So hopefully throughout this timetable, we can see that he is working to get better and that come training camp in this next season, he'll be ready to go to play. Look, I understand that for myself, I've been going back and forth and see, you know, does he have back issues? Does he not? I, I mean, my, here's my thing. I just feel like that if it was reported in the beginning of the season or even in the off season, last off season, that he had back problems. If it was reported, that was the case. 
then no one would have an issue with this. The problem is that it went from he wants out of Philadelphia. Then it was he's not mentally ready. Everyone, everyone saw the report that he's not mentally ready to play in Philadelphia because he wants out. Then it went from to two that he wants out and he has mental health issues. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Where, where the heck did mental health come from? What, where the heck that came from? Then it was, okay, now that he that he's willing to sit out, oh, well, he got traded. So he got traded because he always wanted out. So he got traded to Brooklyn. He's happy. Now he's ramping up. He's ready. Then all of a sudden, it, it, he has back issues. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Where did this back issues come from? Where that, we Did you hear any back issues in the offseason? No. Did you hear any back issues in the beginning of the season? No. The fact that we heard about these back issues that he got from work, I'm trying to f- find out. When did this man hurt his back? When? That man hasn't played since June 20th, 2021. How did he hurt his back? I'm really trying to find out. But listen, he had his, he got back surgery. So he had it. Cool. This definitely does not change my perspective because the, the it still comes out today. I'm still going out what I said a couple of weeks ago. Is he actually going to play? Because they reported that he has this mental block that he needs to settle. So he has this mental block. Then I need to find out what's going to happen. I told you beforehand, he can play in training camp. It could be the first game of the season and they could go against Celtics, Heat, 76, it doesn't matter. I still have to wonder two hours before tip-off if this man going to play. Because I think this man will say, I'm not going to play because I have a mental block. I had an issue the fact that all that all that stuff was going on. Plus, you found, like you said, I kept on saying again, he wanted to recoup that $20 million, man. He wanted to recoup that. And all of that, if Ben Simmons just would have said, I'm not going to play this season. He would have said it up front. And nobody had a problem. I said that because he wasn't going to play the regular season, I was like, what was the point of him playing in the playoffs? I mean, play play his first game in the playoffs, that wouldn't make any sense. That would be dumb. And especially when people are saying he has back issues. But then when we heard about that he could possibly play game four in the first round against the Celtics, and then the fact that they lost game three, now you heard that the day before the game four, oh, he has back soreness. I'm just like, come on, bro. Like, what, the, what the heck is going on, bro? So he has back problems, and he got that fixed. So now we're going to look at this next season. Ben Simmons, are you going to be playing? Because that's the real question. So this, listen, he's going to have a target behind his back. And it's kind of interesting that he's with the Brooklyn Nets because him, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant, they're going to be – all eyes going to be on them because yeah. what they did last season – no, no, take the back. What they did the last two seasons – they're going to look, what is Brooklyn, what is the Brooklyn that's going to be now that they're all playing together on the court? So the joke is still out there. The, the questions are still going to be out there for next season. Is Brooklyn going to deliver? Is Kyrie Irving going to be focused and be ready to play for his team? Is Kevin Rank going to deliver a championship? Is Ben Simmons going to play? These are questions that's going to be, that's going to be out there until they deliver. And for Ben Simmons, this is mainly about Ben Simmons. I need to find out if he actually going to play. If he plays, great. We'll see. We'll see how far Brooklyn goes. But if he doesn't, y'all know how I feel about him. So we'll see what happens. All right, folks, that's it for the Bounce Podcast, episode 72. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Simplecast, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and on YouTube, folks. I want you to like, comment, subscribe, download us, folks, friends, family members, associates. Let them know about us because we here every week, baby. Playoff time. L'Oreal. It's the month of May, and by the time we come back, the conference finals will come. 
and we will see who will be the final four teams that will remain in the NBA playoffs. So we'll see what happens. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Bounce Podcast, episode 72. My name is Jabari Anderson with my co-host, L'Oreal. Peace! Peace.